And wouldn't it be really great if we could somehow know really what mattered most to the Lord Jesus and what really his primary desire is for each and every one of us. Certainly as his followers, I would almost think it would go without saying that that really should be what our heart's desire is anyway, that we should as a Christian, if we're a follower of Christ and we proclaim Jesus as our Lord, have the heart attitude that would say, Lord, what is most important to you? What matters most to you? Well, today's passage helps us in that regard because if you can tell from the reading of it, you should. It reveals to us that what Jesus really wants, what Jesus wants more than anything else is love. It's love. In the most simplest form, it's love that Jesus says matters most to him, love towards God vertically and love towards other people horizontally. And as we come to New Year's, this always tends to be a time certainly of kind of personal reflection. We reflect maybe back over the last year, but it also becomes a time New Year's of sort of new beginnings. And let me just say, in light of that, the Bible encourages that both of those things are good things. The Bible encourages us that it is healthy and important to, to take personal inventory and to reflect and maybe evaluate at times how we're doing. For example, the Word of God says to us in Lamentations 3.40, let us search out and examine our ways and turn back to the Lord. In the New Testament, we find as well 1 Corinthians 11.28, which is a passage regarding communion. It says, let a man examine himself. And then 2 Corinthians 13, Paul again there says, examine yourselves. So it is important. It's a valuable thing, not just at New Year's, but always to take times on occasion to examine ourselves. And also, as New Year's is a time of kind of new beginnings and fresh starts and all those kind of things, the Bible encourages that as well, that it's healthy and important sometimes to take a new step or maybe to move in a fresh direction or to perhaps at times start something that we know that we should or repent and renew afresh something that we weren't doing that we should be doing. For example, Philippians 3, that famous passage, Paul tells us there, forgetting what things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. Isaiah 43, God declares, Behold, I do anew thing and let me tell you something god is the master of giving people a new start that's what the bible means when it tells us if anyone is in christ he's a new creation old things pass away all things become new and how many of us if we were honest in this room this morning i'm on about my 718th new start with the Lord in my life as a Christian. And God is the master of giving us a new start, a new slate. And, and God's the master of opening up new doors that were never there before. God is the master of doing new things, bringing new seasons. In fact, Ezekiel 18.31 says this as well. It says, Cast away from you all the transgressions which you have committed and get yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. You know, in this New Year's, as we head into it, my encouragement to us congregational is, is let's take inventory and let's consider the possibility of something new in the department of love. 
Let's take personal inventory in regards to how have I been doing in the department of love and how might perhaps I begin to do better in regards to love, love for the Lord and love for other people. And I think if we listen to the heart of Jesus in this passage here, it really guides us in that direction. Now, let me set the backdrop before we look at the verses, and it's simply this. At this point, Jesus is just literally a a very few days before he's about to die upon the cross. And I think that's fundamental to the passage because Jesus is about to create a way for us to be forgiven of all of our sin against God. Jesus in this hour as he's speaking these things is about to give access into heaven to a group of unworthy people who had failed many, many times over. And we all know if there's any level of familiarity with our Bible that the death of Jesus Christ upon the cross for our sins is honestly the greatest demonstration of love that was ever expressed on this earth. In fact, Romans chapter 5 says that specifically. It says that God demonstrates his love toward us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. So the greatest demonstration of love ever on this planet was to look at Jesus and what he did for you and I as he sacrificed himself for our benefit and betterment. And let me just say, it is the heart of God that each and every one of us, first and foremost, come to know for ourselves and that we would come to experience for ourselves the love of God that is found in an experience with Jesus Christ. Because when a person experiences the love of God in their life, And the love of God shown in Christ has a powerful experience in your soul. It does something to radically transform your heart in such a way that love for God and love for people becomes the natural byproduct of that. And to the degree we first experience it in the salvation of our soul and to the degree that we're continuously experiencing the love of God, the love of Christ in our life, that will compel us, the Bible says, to love God and love others as a result. Now remember, even as the Passover lambs were inspected, before they were sacrificed. In the same way, Jesus, the Lamb of God, who was slain for the sins of the world, was also examined before he died on the cross for our sins. And that is what we have happening here as we come to our passage in Matthew 22. We find Jesus being tested and scrutinized and examined by the religious leaders. Look with me in verse 35. It says, then one of them, referring above to the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the religious leaders, one of them, a lawyer, asked Jesus a question, testing him, saying, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? So here we find Jesus being challenged regarding his perspective on the law of God. It says, verse 35 there, that a lawyer asked him a question. And when we read the word lawyer, we have to be careful. Don't envision the idea from a civil perspective of what a lawyer is. But to one degree, a lawyer in our civil understanding is somebody who is what? An expert in their understanding. They're supposed to be anyway. An expert in their understanding and their application of civil law. What's being referred to here in the Bible when it speaks of a lawyer is actually a religious leader, not a civil leader, but a religious leader who was supposed to be 
so well studied and familiar with the book, the law of God, that they were an expert in interpreting and applying and knowing the law of God. So this is a reference to someone, a lawyer who was from God's perspective and, and the cultural idea, someone who was supposed to be an expert in the law of God itself. And it's this individual that is now coming and questioning Jesus and asking him in regards to interpreting the law. Now, let me just say, whenever someone's examined or questioned by a lawyer, usually that's a little bit of an intimidating experience, unless perhaps you're the person who wrote the law. Now, this is good because in Jesus' case, as being who he is, God in the flesh, he wrote the book. He wrote the law of God. So in Jesus' situation here, here's supposedly an expert in the law of God coming to test someone regarding it. But the reality is Jesus wrote the book of the law of God himself anyway. So it makes really, I think, it all the more insightful how this unfolds as Jesus answers his question. Look at the question he asks him. Here's the question he tests Jesus with. Verse 36, he says, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Now, the religious leaders, the scribes, the Pharisees, Sadducees, the lawyers, all these individual religious leaders, they had searched and documented the law of Moses to such a degree that they had discovered there were 613 individual specific commands that existed in the Old Testament. And from their evaluation, there were 248 positive commands and there were 365 negative commands. The debate, of course, became among the religious leaders with all these 600 plus commands. Okay, well, that's a lot to keep track of and follow. So, I mean, which ones should we really focus on? Because that's, I mean, that's a lot to follow and keep. And that is why you have this question, because it was a debate anyway, in verse 36, where it is being asked, which is the great commandment? The word that's used there, great commandment, is megale, or it's where we get our English word mega, which mega usually means big. You know, big, this is the mega thing. The, the, so the idea there is they're basically saying to Jesus, all right, there's all these commands in the law of God. What's the big one? What's the really big one? The, the idea is the significant one. Which one really ranks up there above all the other ones? Which requirement or command of God has the largest significance? Which one has the biggest importance? So that we could really focus on that one above every other one. Which command of God is the greatest and should we seek to follow foremost? So that we can keep our focus on the big one. Because that's the really big thing that matters to God. That's the idea here. Now, let me just say, I'm glad they asked this to a degree because that would be quite a helpful thing to have the answer to. Wouldn't you agree? Rather than trying to keep track of 613 different instructions to say, look, what's the really big one? What's the, the, what's the, the, the one that matters most, the, the most significant of all the other commands that we can follow so that we can put our greatest concern and focus on that above all other things. Here's what I, in essence, see really being asked. It's almost like kind of saying, God, would you please be merciful to me and would you simplify spiritual life in the most basic of terms? Kind of like, God, would you give me the Bible for dummies? 
You know, they have those books, you know, you know, uh, mechanics for dummies or, you know, this for dummies or uh, this is like the Bible for dummies. Love God, love people. It just, and, and Jesus here just simplifies what spiritual life is intended to be about. What's the greatest importance to you, God, to which here's the answer. Here's Jesus's answer. Do you want to know the big one? Do you want to know the most important thing to follow, to observe, to keep? Jesus, the author of the law, answers saying, verse 37, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first in priority and great, the mega, the big commandment. So Jesus says, if you love the Lord with the entirety of your being and all of your capacity within you, you are doing that great an important thing. He quotes here from a passage in Deuteronomy 6 to answer the question there in verse 37 when he says, you shall love the Lord your God with your heart, with your soul, and with all your mind. That was a passage, Deuteronomy 6, that he quotes there that was memorized by almost all Jews. And it was recited daily. It's the great Shema. It's a, a command in a very summary form, Jesus is saying, that really fit the entirety of the heart of God behind all of the Old Testament law. He's saying, look, I'm trying to simplify this. I'm putting it in, in context for you. Now, that this does not mean that God does not care about all of the positive commands and all of the negative commands. This does not mean that God didn't want them to obey the specific things or that he wasn't concerned about them refraining from the things he told them not to do. What Jesus is conveying is above all other things you've been instructed to do in the specifics to God, the most important thing is that you genuinely love the Lord is that you have a tremendous love for God because God understands having created us and designed us and knowing how we function, God knows that if we love him with all of our being as a direct result, that will then influence us and motivate us to obey everything else he asks of us, to do what he wants us to do and to not do the things that he doesn't want to do. To me, this is utterly brilliant and wonderfully helpful and simple of Jesus to take this answer here and simplify what spiritual life and pleasing God is about foremost. He says, just love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and, and with all your mind. And again, the word love there is that Greek term agape. It's a word that doesn't speak of sentimental feelings. It's a word that speaks of loving in an unconditional way as a matter of choice. It's a word love that speaks of seeking what is best for another, sacrificing yourself to choose to love another individual irregardless of their condition. It's the love that God has for us and thankfully so. That despite our condition, God chooses to love us. We don't have to be lovable. He just chooses to love us as a decision of devotion and an act of the will. And now Jesus says, this is the way that we are to exercise love, being made in the image of God. We are to choose with an act and a decision of our will to fully love God with all of our being, with everything that we have. The object of our love is the Lord our God, but how are we supposed to love him? Well, Jesus didn't want to leave that 
up to opinion. So, so he gives some insight. He says, first of all, love the Lord your God with all your heart. With all your heart. And that speaks there of, of all of your emotions and all of your passions. And I think that this is important because as we think about love that we experience as human beings, we have feelings towards one another as human beings as we love one another. And emotions are involved, whether it's between a man and a woman romantically or parents and children or so forth. We have a level of emotions and feelings in our love. And, and there should be, listen, there should be an aspect of emotional experience in your love towards God. In the same way that, that there's passion and emotion and feelings that are strong and real between us as human beings, there should be a component of your love for God that involves emotion, that you do love God and have a level of emotion, that you're not cold and, and stoic, if you would, and kind of emotionless and lacking passion towards God. There should be a burning passion in your heart towards God. There should be something that moves you in your emotions to have the same feelings of love for God that you have feelings of love for people. And listen, I understand our love for God is not about an emotional experience alone. That's out of balance. But that being said, I think to a degree, sometimes Christians fly too far the other way. I mean, look, it's not about an emotional experience. It's about faith. It's about believing the truth. You listen, I understand that. I understand that. But if I have emotions towards my wife and emotions towards my kid, I think I should have emotions towards God because the highest use of my emotions and my feelings and my passions should be for God. He created me. So I have no problem singing a love song to the Lord and letting a tear run down my face because I love the Lord and something's happening between me and Him. I have no problem expressing emotion because I'm to love the Lord my God with all my heart with all my heart so jesus says love god with all your heart and then he adds as well to love the lord your god with all your soul and your soul speaks of the capacity of the will and the choices that is the deepest part of your being it speaks of determining to be devoted giving him first place in your life that out of love for god you would choose to be committed to him that you choose to be loyal to him that from the depth of your soul You would say, God, I'm going to love you with all my soul, everything within me. I'm going to choose to put you above everything else and love you with a deeper devotion by choice than I do anything or anyone else. And that interesting Jesus mentions as well there in verse 37, to love the Lord our God with all of our mind. And that's a beautiful description. The idea again there is with your thoughts and our thinking capacities, using our minds, listen, by what we consider, by what things we think about, by how we use the capacities mentally that God has given to us, what we listen to, what we contemplate, what we let go through our minds, using your mind and your mental faculties as a way to show love for God. Using the mind that God has given to you to to exercise it in a way whether what you're thinking about or what you give attention to or read or learn that you use your mind as a way to show love for God and love God with your mind. This goes back to the other side of we don't want to be, again, you know, emotionless towards God but by the same token, listen, you should love doctrine. You should have a mind that says, I'm going to love God with my mind so I want to know what the truth says because I want to love God in truth. 
And I want to know what the Word of God says. And I want to study to show myself approved. And I, I give my mind to all these other things. I'm going to give my mind to the Word of God. Would to God if more Christians this year would give their mind more to the Word of God than they would to social media. And we put our minds to use for a lot of other things. Things we think about other people, perspectives we have, attitudes we have, things that we consider. Look, let's use our minds to love God with our minds. And to let our mind be used, this incredible capacity to show love for God. In Mark's account, Jesus adds as well to love God with all of your strength. That is your physical capacities, the energy of your body. Again, using your physical frame, your talents, your energy, your strength to show love for God. Obviously, Jesus is making a summary statement here. He's saying, love God with everything within you. Everything you have. Your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. Love God with all your being. And Jesus says in verse 38, that's the first priority you should have and the greatest commandment that you should keep. And, and boy, I look at this and I think, thank you, Lord, for making it simple. For making it simple that, that keeping that primary focus, endeavoring every day to live in a manner where I'm trying to just love the Lord with everything within me, with all of who I am. Because here's the thing, as I said earlier, God knows that if we love Him with everything within us and we love the Lord with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, that's going to guide and influence everything else in our life. And everything else is going to come into alignment. For example, if I love the Lord with my heart, soul, mind, and strength, that's going to influence my obedience to the Word of God. Because my outlook towards the word of God is going to be, Lord, I love you. And so I care about what your word says to me. And I want to obey your word because I love you, God. So I want to know what it says. And I want to obey the word of God, not because I have to. I want to obey the word of God because I love you and I want to please you. It will affect our outlook towards sin and, and our response to sin and how we handle it in our life. That when sin is exposed to us by the Lord, we would say, Lord, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry, Lord, that, that this still is going on in my life. And Lord, I love you. I don't want to break your heart. Lord, I want to change. Help me change, Lord. Help me repent. And it will affect our way that we approach sin and how we follow the will of the Lord and make decisions in matters of our life because it will be saying, Lord, I love you and I don't want my will. Lord, I want your will because I love you. And I want what your plan is for my life. And I want to follow what you want. If we love God with all of our being, it will affect how we make choices and our stewardship of our minds and our energy and our time and our talents. Because we'll say, God, my, my time belongs to you. I love you, God. You deserve my time before anybody else. And God, my energy and my talent, I want to use it for you. Everything that I have, our willingness to serve the Lord. Lord, I love you. I want to serve you and do your work because I love you so much. And I would just encourage you, evaluate those kind of things because that many times is a true reflection of how much we genuinely love the Lord. If I look at how I respond to sin in my life and my obedience to the word of God and how I manage my life and my lifestyle and, and how much I serve the Lord or am willing to minister or not minister, all these things truly at the end of the day are a reflection of how much I love the Lord or how much I don't really love the Lord because our love for the Lord will influence all these other things. Now, even though they did not ask, Jesus gave him further insight. He thought, oh, we're on a good track here. Let me give you a bonus prize, he says. 
Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's the first and great commandment. There's your answer. And then he goes on, verse 39, to say, and the second is like it. Here's a bonus prize for you, he says. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There he quotes from Leviticus 19.18 after addressing the most important of all relationships, the vertical, love God. He then says, after you love God with everything within you, he then says on the horizontal, love your neighbor. Love those around you. Again, loving people. The word neighbor typically is a term that speaks of the person who's closest to you or the person who's directly connected to you. Maybe you have properties that are adjoining to someone. This is the idea. Love your neighbor. Luke 10, even Jesus describes our neighbor there in that story as the person who God brings across our path that may have some need and God brings them before us and lets us be exposed. The simple point is Jesus is saying, listen, love God with all you got and then love people. Love people, he's saying. And especially the people who are connected to you and closest to you. Those directly connected and those God brings to your path, he says, unconditionally love people. The same love that you're experiencing from God and expressing to God, he's saying, pursue what's in the best interest of others. Just love people. I think it's interesting to me always that the Bible records it in such a way that God says to us, love your neighbor as yourself. Do you take notice here that unlike the world who encourages self-esteem and self-love, the Lord takes for granted we already love ourselves way too much. Do you ever notice that? Love your neighbor as yourself. And that's God doesn't think we have to be told, you've got to love yourself a little more. You've got you to love yourself first. God says, no, the problem is you love yourself too much. You already love yourself. So God says, I'm asking you, would you love people in the same way you love yourself? I mean, think of it truly. The reason why we do so much for ourselves, we take care of ourselves, we make sure we get what we need or want or desire because we love ourselves, so we take care of ourselves. Why do we get upset when somebody mistreats us? Because we love ourselves. Why do we get upset when it doesn't go our way? Because we love ourselves. And so what Jesus is trying to convey here in regards to loving people, it's a challenging command. He says, look, that same amount of energy and thought and consideration and interest an effort in time that, Tony, you put into loving yourself, take that same perspective and try loving other people that way. In the same way, he says, that you focus on making sure that you look out for your own best interest, he says, take that same focus, the way that you already love yourself, and let that be your standard for how you love the people in your life how you love those closest to you, those who are right next to you, your family, your friends, your church family, saying, love them, love them. In the same way that you love yourself already, love other people and those who God brings across your path, show love them. Jesus is saying what matters most to God after you love him is loving other people. It's just loving people. And hear me, let me, let me say something and please listen. What matters most to God after loving him, Jesus says, is not reading your Bible. It's not going to church. It's not being a great prayer warrior. It's not serving in ministry. Jesus said it's loving people. Nothing wrong with reading your Bible. Nothing wrong with praying, attending church, serving in ministry. But listen, be careful of thinking that you are spiritual because you love God and you read your Bible a lot, and you attend church more than everybody else, and you do lots of ministry, 
Because if you don't love people, something's wrong. And we can all be guilty of this. The Bible says the fruit of the Spirit, if the Spirit's working in our life, the fruit of the Spirit is not Bible reading, praying, serving in ministry, church attendance. The fruit of the Spirit is love. That's how you can tell if the Spirit of God's at work in your life. There's a change in the dynamic. There's more love for people. There's love being shown in the way that you relate to people. So Jesus makes it so very simple. He says, love God, love people. Love God, love people. Love people. How many times do we read in the Word of God, Ephesians 5, walk in love. Jesus gives us a command in John chapter 13, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another by this, your love for one another. All men, Jesus said, will know that you're my disciples. By that love that's expressed. 1 Peter 4, 8 says, Above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Proverbs 17, 9, He who covers a transgression seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates friends. Let me leave you with one more to ponder for a moment the importance of love. We all know this. But think about it, 1 Corinthians 13. Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. Though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge and have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. Though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long and is kind. It doesn't envy. It doesn't parade itself. It's not proud. It doesn't behave rudely. It doesn't seek its own. Believes all things and hopes all things and endures all things. Love never fails. Again, that the love that God gives to us that we would become channels to then extend that same love to other people. So Jesus here gives this beautiful simplicity. Love God Love people, love God, love people. And look what he says, verse 40. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. The idea is everything in the entire law of God, Jesus says it hinges on those two things, really. It all hinges on those two things. Those basic principles, love God and love people, they support and give birth to every other specific command that comes out in the word of God. Loving God and loving people. You can take everything written in the Bible, listen, and hang it on those two concepts. Hang it on love God or love people. And let me just say, without trying to be overly creative or acute, you might well say that it is the violation of those two simple con concepts that caused Jesus to have to hang on the cross. And in the same way, that loving God and loving people is what you can hang every scriptural principle upon. It's either about loving God or loving people. It's our violation of that that caused our Lord Jesus to have to hang on a cross and suffer. And I would say this from a way of evaluating all of our hearts, perhaps the greatest violation of God's word and sin that I and we have all been guilty of of late in all of our lives is a failure to love the Lord the way that we should 
and a failure to love other people the way that God's called us to. Sometimes it's, oh, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. And perhaps God is saying, no, the problem is you have a lack of love for me and you have a lack of love for other people. And perhaps those are the identifying marks of the most grievous sins in our lives. Matthew 24, Jesus said prior to the days of his return, listen to what Jesus said, and because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. The agape of many will grow cold. May we not allow ourselves to fulfill that prophecy of Jesus where the love toward God and the love for people grows cold, but instead that as perhaps as we spend this time this morning partaking of communion and worshiping, that our greatest concern and simple focus would be, God, forgive me for my failure of not loving you the way that I should. And that's why this or that. And God, forgive me for not loving people in my life the way that I should. And let us reflect on those things and examine ourselves as we partake of the Lord's Supper together. Because as we focus on the love of Christ, His love can be refreshed in our hearts and it can begin to have a responsive effect where we begin to love the Lord and love others as we should. Would you bow your heads and pray with me?